Excellent. Okay. Um, as I said, we're going to do some ideas on Pirkei Ovis. Of course, the Minog, the Minog by Klal Yisrael, is to study or learn the, um, or read at least, the Pirkei Ovis chapters, um, one chapter a week, starting from after Pesach until Shavuos. There's uh, six Shabbosis from after Pesach until the beginning, until Shavuos, and we do the six chapters of Pirkei Ovis. Pirkei Ovis is one of the Mesechtis, one of the tractates of Mishnah. Um, interestingly, the actual tractate of Pirkei Ovis is five chapters, and there's one additional chapter that's added by what's, from what's called Brisa. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole idea behind Mishnah and Brisa, but these are, Mishnah is the first and most authoritative work of the oral tradition, Torah Shabal Peh. As we know for uh, for well over a thousand years, the oral tradition was only transmitted orally. Teresh Balpeh was Balpeh, was not written. And the first book that was written was Mishnayis, the Shisha Sidre Mishnah, the six orders of the Mishnah that was put together by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, known as Rabbeinu HaKadosh, or Rebbe, plain. Um, and Rebbe writes the Mishnah, but other sages of the Mishnah, other Tanoim, wrote other works, and they were called Brisa or Tesefta, um, and the, the sixth chapter of Pirkei Ovis is really not from Mishnah, but was added in from the Brisa in order to make it six chapters so that we should be able to have what to learn for these six weeks between Pesach and Shavuos. Okay, why? Why do we learn Pirkei Ovis from Pesach to Shavuos? And there's two basic ideas given, two reasons given. There's a very important uh, book, important sefer on Pirkei Ovis called Medrash Shmuel, that was written by a tzaddik, his name is Reb Shmuel Diuzida, who was a disciple of the Arizal. And he writes that the reason we read Pirkei Ovis between Pesach and Shavuos, he says, first of all, it's a preparation for Shavuos. Shavuos is Matan Torah, Shavuos is the time when we receive the Torah from heaven, each year again. And to prepare for Matan Torah, we learn Pirkei Ovis. That was his, for the first reason he gives. Another reason he gives is, he says, because it's the beginning of the summer months. In the summer months, he says, there's certain, there's a certain, um, there's certain nisyonas, certain tests, there's, certain, there's beauty outside, and it's the warmth, and therefore we need an extra dosage, so to speak, an extra dosage of Torah in order to strengthen us, to uh, carry us spiritually through the summer months ahead of us. That's what he gives. He gives these two ideas. It's a preparation for Matan Torah, and it's necessary for the time to have this extra dosage of strength to carry us through the summer months. So the first initial minug is to do it for these six weeks from Pesach to Shavuos, but many have the minug, and Chabad as well, to continue doing it after Shavuos. So we do it again and again throughout the summer until, um, until Rosh Hashanah. Um, and if you think about those two reasons, reason number one is a preparation for the giving of Torah. Well, once Shavuos is, uh, is here, once we pass Shavuos, so what's the preparation for the giving of Torah? And it's, it's brought in an, an interesting idea, and that is that although we got the, the, um, the Ten Commandments were told to us on Shavuos, when did we actually receive the Luchos? The second Luchos was on Yom Kippur. So really throughout the summer, we're still preparing for receiving of the Torah. Again, by, on Shavuos, we, had, we were by Harsina, Hashem said the Ten Commandments, but then Moshe goes up to the mountain and it comes down and the, the first Luchos are broken. And the saga goes on until Yom Kippur. So really, throughout the summer months, we're really preparing for Matan Torah. And of course, throughout the summer months, it's still the summer months. So both reasons apply, and we say Pirkei Avis, or learn Pirkei Avis, throughout the months of the summer. That's, just, that's the, as far as the minog of doing Pirkei Avis. Now, again, we do it on, specifically on the Shabbos, by Mincha time, Shabbos afternoon. Um, th- starting from Pesach, 
till Shavuos and then throughout the summer months. Okay. Uh, Pirkei Aves, I mentioned, is one of the Mesechtas, one of the tractates of Mishnah. Um, there's really 60 tractates of Mishnah. Pirkei Aves is one of them. And yet, it's different than all the others. It stands alone and separate from all the other chapters, all the Prakim of, of uh, Mishnayis. And the basic difference, the most basic, obvious difference, is whereas most tractates, every other tractate is halachic, is halacha. Um, all the different tractates are all the different areas of halacha, whether it's the laws of Shabbos or Yom Tev or Pesach or Sukkis. Um, whatever, whatever mitzvah you have, the halachas are discussed in Mishnayis. Pirkei Aves is not halacha. Pirkei Aves is called, in English they call it ethics, right? Ethics of our fathers, ethics. Um, in Gemara language it's called Mili de Chasidusa. Um, the ideas for to be a to be pious. Chasidusa Chasidus means to be more like the Fnimishura Sadin beyond the letter of the law. So Pirkeavis is all about that. It's not really halachic, there's no specific mitzvah or halacha that's discussed. Rather, it's ethics, it's, it's beyond the letter of the law. It's again, mili de chasidusa, or lefnim mishura sadim. And that, that puts, uh, really sets Pirkeovis aside from all the other misachtes, um, all the other tractates in Mishnah. Why the name? Pirkeovis. Of course, Ovis means our fathers. Why is Pirkeovis called Pirkeovis? And that's, you got to ask that when you hear the name of this. Every other tractate, the name says what it's about. Right? There's the tractate of Brachos, there's the tractate of Shabbos, there's the tractate of Psachim. So you take one look at the tractate, you know what it's about. And here it's called Pirkei Avos, the ethics or the chapters of our fathers. Why is Pirkei Avos called fathers? And there's a number of answers given to this. Uh, different Mepharshim, different commentaries give different answers. Let me mention a few. Maybe we'll mention three. Um, we'll use the Shara B'tachin's way of giving numbers to things, right? So let's give three reasons why it's called Pirkei Avos, our fathers. So, number one, we mentioned that Pirkei Avos is ethics. It's like Midos. It's, 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 um, it's, uh, it's, it's there to help us um, develop and, and polish, if you will, our Midos. And that we do before Matan Torah. Right? Just like the, you have the, the 49 days of Sfira Sa'omer, which is we're working on our Midos, preparing for Matan Torah. So Pirkei Aves is the time when we work on our Midos, our, eth- our ethics, and that's an Av. That's a parent. It comes before the mitzvahs. We have a concept that says, Derech Eretz Kodma La Torah. Before even one learns the halachas of Torah, one has to work on Derech Eretz, which is Midos, to be, to be a mensch, to work on those which is really not halacha, it's lifnimeshur sadin, it's beyond the letter of the law, and therefore it's called an av, a father, which means it comes before, before a person is able to receive the Torah from Hashem and devote themselves to doing the mitzvahs, a person has to work on their midas toives, derech eretz kadmala Torah, and therefore some of Hashem say that that's why it's called avais, the fathers, it's the father before the doing the mitzvahs and halachas of the Torah, is for a person to work on their midas. That's one answer given. There's another answer given. That's also a very interesting answer. And that is the following. When we learn Pirkei Avis, we're really learning about people, about the Tanoim, about the sages of the time. If you go through Pirkei Avis, 
you'll notice, and we'll do a little bit of that, that every Mishnah begins with, okay, this Tzaddik would say this teaching. This Tzaddik would say this teaching. This Tzaddik would say this teaching. Or many times in Pirkei, obviously, you'll have the quote, Hu Haya Omer. He would say this teaching. Which means that as we're going through the chapters of Pirkei Avis, the subject is the tzaddikim. The subject is the people. It's not as if we have one subject that we're teaching and we bring in different people um, and hear what do they have to say about the subject. It's the opposite. We're discussing the people. We're discussing the tanoim. And we're saying, well, Rabbi Akiva said this. Hillel said that. Rabbi Shimon said this. Rabbi Elazar said this. It's almost like this tractate is a, a, is a study of the teachers, not so much of the teachings, but the teachers who taught those teachings. And when we learn, when we look through Perkevus, we notice how that's vastly different from every other Mesechta, every other tractate in Mishnah. Typically, there's a certain topic being discussed, and they'll bring in different Rabbonim and different sages. What did they have to say about that topic? Here, the topic is the sages. Okay, what did this sage say? What did that sage say? And in fact, a lot of Pirkei Avos goes in chronological order. It says, okay, we'll start from the top and say, okay, so he said, so his Talmud said the following, and his disciples said the following. So we're really studying the sages themselves. And in fact, it's written. When it says, Hu Omer, this sage would say this particular statement. Well, obviously, this sage said hundreds or thousands of statements. What does it mean, Hu Omer, he would say this statement? And the Mepharshim explained, it means this was a statement that he personified. It's not just that, oh, we picked one random statement that Rabbi Akiva said from hundreds or thousands, and one from Rabbi Eliezer, and one from Ben Azai. Rather, this, when the Pirkei Avah says a certain tzaddik said a certain thing, it means this was his statement that he lived by, that he personified, um, that he expressed in his deed, in his words, in his actions. This was his and therefore, it's Pirkei Avos, it's, a, it's the Prakim, the chapters, that discuss the teachers, more so than any other, again, tractate, Masechta and Shas, that's not about the teachers, but about the teachings. This one is an examination of the Tzaddikim, or the Tanoim, the sages of the Mishnah, through the statements that they held dearest and that they personified, each one their own special statement. I'll give you a beautiful example. There is a Mishnah, it's in um, actually chapter two. I have it written down here. Uh, chapter, I take that back. Chapter four. Paragdalib Mishnah Yutes. In chapter four, Mishnah 19, it says, Shmuel Hakatan Hoya Omer. Shmuel Hakatan would say, Binfal Oyivcha al Tismach. That when your enemy falls, do not, do not rejoice. This is a statement that's attributed to Shmuel Hakatan. Again, in Paragdalib, chapter four of Pirkeyabas. Shmuel HaKatan would say, When your enemy falls, don't rejoice. And the question is asked, Shmuel HaKatan would say that? It's a Pasuk. is a Pasuk in Mishlei. Thank you very much. It says a Pasuk in Mishlei that when your enemy falls, don't rejoice. So how does the Mishnah say, Shmuel HaKatan would say this? Again, if it's a Pasuk. It's like saying, well, this person says, Baruch is Baruch Lakim. I mean, <laughs> Hashem said it. It's a Pasuk in the Torah. So what does it mean, Shmuel HaKatan Hoya Eimer Ben Fayol Eiv Chal Tismach? So Mepharshim say, based on what we just explained, because Shmuel HaKatan lived that Pasuk. He expressed that Pasuk. That's, that's what he would talk about. When people knew Shmuel HaKatan, they, they knew this saying of his. So of course it's written in Mishlei, but Shmuel HaKatan was the tzaddik that personified this teaching 
of bin fail when your enemy falls, do not rejoice. It's interesting. We once discussed well, when we were doing tefillah a couple of years ago. So um, Shmona Esrei is how many brachas? So it's a giveaway, right? Shmona Esrei means 18. So it's 18 brachas. Except, of course, it's a trick question because it's 19. Because one was added, right? Which one was added? The one, Vilamalshinim Altehisikva. The one where we daven um, for the downfall of the oppressors of the Jewish people, right? Our, our enemies. And that was created a few, a few hundred years after the Shmona Esrei. Because of the terrible enemies of the time, it was early Christianity, it was all types of things going on. It was a terrible time, and they instituted a, a prayer in Shmona Esrei, the downfall of the Lamashinim. Who was the one who was commissioned to write Vilamalshinim? Who wrote the bracha? Right? The, the entire Shmona Esrei, all the 18 brachas, was written by the Anshik Nessus Agdolo, the men of the Great Assembly. But who is the one who wrote the bracha of Lamashinim? Shmuel Hakata. Mm-hmm. Why Shmuel Hakatan? Let's think about it. What was his teaching? He personified binfal oyevcha al tismach, not to rejoice when one's enemy falls. So only he could write a bracha for the downfall of an enemy. Anyone else might be have might be a personal vendetta. It might be something personal. There's some animosity, some anger. Only someone who personified that he didn't take any rejoicing. He didn't rejoice in the downfall of an enemy. He could truly l'shem shemayim right. And that's why it was Rabban Gamliel who was the Nasi at the time. And he asked Shmuel Akot and he said after him, he has the ability to write such a bracha. I'm just using all this as an example to show how the, the statements of Pirkei Avos, of the Sadikim were are not random at all. It's not like, let's just choose one statement of Hillel or one statement of Shmuel Akotan. But rather, these statements express and personify the people, the Sadikim who said those statements. So all of this is the second reason why Pirkei Avos is called Pirkei Avos. The prokim about the Avos, the Avos here means the ones who taught the teachings, the tzaddikim. They're called the Tanoim, the sages of the Mishnah. Because as I said, I'm being repetitious, that more than any other tractate in the entire Mishnah and Talmud, the one that focuses in on the teachers of the teachings is Pirkei Avos. We go through teacher by teacher. What was his special teaching? What was his special message? What was his special lesson that he gave over in this form of Pirkei Avos? So that's the second reason why it's called Chapters of Fathers. It's the discussion and the analysis, if you will, about the fathers, the teachers themselves. Which leads us to a third reason, and we'll finish, we'll stop with that. A third reason why it's called Pirkei Avos is because these teachings of theirs are father teachings for their own teachings throughout the Talmud. In other words, being that these are the teachings that expressed who they were, this explains to us many other teachings that they said in different places. Because a person's teachings are very much, um, is very much expresses the type of person they are, the type of mindset they are. Right? Some people are more chesed-oriented. Some people are more gvura-oriented. You know, every person is different. Even great tzaddikim. Even, every, even the great tzaddikim had their own bent, their own way of understanding things. So this mesechta, this tractate, which teaches us who they really were, what are the teachings that personify them, becomes like a, becomes like a, um, a father figure to understand their teachings elsewhere in other places in the Talmud as well. And therefore, it's really a fascinating study when you learn Pirkei Ovis and you learn some of the teachings of these tzaddikim and see how that relates to 
how they lived, where they lived, and other teachings that they give, even halachic teachings in different areas. And this is something that the Rebbe loved to do. Um, throughout the summer months, when we do Pirkei Avos, whenever the Rebbe had a Fabrengen, he would always discuss a Mishnah of Pirkei Avos of that week. And many times, it was about showing how this statement, this teaching of this particular uh, tzaddik, um, expresses or mirrors other teachings or statements or life story of that particular tzaddik. And we'll try to do some of that as we go through Pirkei Avos as well. Okay, so that's by way of introduction why it's called Pirkei Avos. And just quickly to summarize, it's called Pirkei Avos because these are Midos, which Derecheretz Kadma Latara, this comes before even Halakha, in, in becoming a mensch the way Hashem wants us to be. Um, number two is it's called Avos because we're analyzing and understanding, trying to understand the teacher's more than the teachings, the subject here is understanding each teacher, each tzaddik, what he lived, for, what he lived, what he expressed, what he personified. And finally, this becomes a father in understanding their teachings in other places as well. Okay. Having said that, let's look at, um, time allowing, uh, maybe two or three Mishnas in the first chapter of Pirkei Avos. Again, we're, I know I'm a little behind. This Shabbos we already did Peregimel, but nevertheless, we'll start here from the beginning. So, um, the first Mishnah we'll look at is Mishnah Vav. Perik Rishon, chapter 1, Mishnah Vav. Mishnah reads the following. Everyone's, I don't know if everyone's welcome to have a sitter, to read it inside, or you can listen, whatever works best. Yoshua ben Prachia v'nitei ho'ar beili kiblu mehem. Yoshua ben Prachia and nitei ho'ar beili received from the Rabbanim before them. Right, this is um, the time in history when the Jewish people were read, were excuse me, led by a peer, by two rabbanim together. We have five such generations throughout this um, throughout this chapter in Mishnayis, um, starting from Mishnah Dalad. You had Yosi ben Yoezer and Yosi ben Yochanan. Um, in Mishnah Vav, we have the second peer, Yeshua ben Prachi and Nita Harabeli. In Mishnah Ches, we have the third, Yehuda ben Tabai Shimon ben Shetach. In Yud, we have the fourth, Shmai and Avtalion, and in Yud Beis, we have Hillel and Shammai. Five generations, when the Jewish people are led by an, a Nasi and an Av Bezdin, and they shared the responsibility for the Jewish people. So here, then uh, that was unique to those five generations when we were led by a, a peer of two. So, peer number two is Yeshua ben Prachia Niti Horabili. Okay. Yeshua ben Prachia Omer. Yeshua ben Prachia says, what, what was the teaching of Yeshua ben Prachia? A person should make for themselves a teacher. A person should acquire for themselves a friend. And finally, to judge, one should judge every person favorably. Those are the three teachings of Yeshua ben Prachia. Make for yourself a teacher, acquire for yourself a friend, and judge every person favorably. Very powerful teaching. Um, before we discuss that, before we analyze that teaching, I want to give a look at Mishnah Tes Zayin, Mishnah 16. Right? We just read Mishnah 6, the teaching of Yeshua ben Prachia. And now let's skip 10 Mishnahs and read 16. Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Gamliel would say, Rabbi Gamliel lives, I don't know, definitely... Uh, at least 100 years later, maybe more, probably more, maybe closer to 200 years later. Rabbi Gamliel said, Make for yourself a teacher. Remove yourself from doubt. Do not give miser, 
with estimates. When you give meiser, when you give a, you know, a tenth for tzedakah, don't say, eh, I'm, I'll give some tzedakah, it's probably going to be a tenth. He says, don't estimate. Be exact in what you're doing. Now, obviously, if we compare these two mitzvahs, these two Mishnahs, Mishnah 6 and Mishnah 16, we find that there is a reoccurring teaching, mm-hmm. which is, Asei l'charav. Both, Mish, both Yeshua and Prachia started off by saying, Asei l'charav, make for yourself a teacher. And then Rabbi Gamliel started off also by saying, Asei l'charav, make for yourself a teacher. Which begs the obvious question, why the redundancy? Right? We know Mishnah is very exact. Mishnah is very concise. It doesn't say things over and over. You know, the message is given and we move on to new messages, different people's messages. How is it that in the same first chapter of Pirkei Avos, we have a repetition, a seeming repetition of the same concept. Make for yourself a teacher. So this is a springboard question. Why is Why is make for yourself a teacher mentioned twice in the first chapter, both in the same chapter, one by Yeshua ben Prachia, one by Rabbi Gamliel, both, said, both started their, their teachings by make for yourself a teacher. How do we understand this? And the Rebbe gave once a fascinating explanation that I think is just a very important explanation. Um, and it, it speaks about the importance of that a person has, must have a teacher. And when we talk about a teacher, obviously, we're not talking about that you got to go to school when you're a child and have a teacher. I mean, obviously, you have to learn basics, you need a teacher. It also doesn't mean you have a rav to answer a shayla, because, well, obviously, if you don't know the answer, you have to have a rav. When they're talking here about a teacher, they're talking about something more. They're talking about someone who, someone who one looks up to as a mentor, as a guide. Um, and the, the idea of not making all decisions on my own, recognizing that everyone has to have the necessary humility to have someone who they go to and ask a question to and discuss things with and um, deliberate with. So when we talk about the importance of having a teacher, there's really two, there's two types of needs for a teacher. Or there's two ways to tell a person or two types of people that need to be told to have a teacher, to have a raft, to have a mentor, to have a guide. What is the difference? Let's look for a moment at the two Mishnas. What's the difference between the two Mishnas? We'll understand it by context. It says twice to have a teacher. It says twice to say l'charav. But what's the difference? What's the first, the general concept of the first Mishnah? And what's the general concept of the second? Again, by association, by context. The first Mishnah, which was Yeshua ben Prachia talking, what are all three teachings about? In the first Mishnah, he says, have a teacher, have a friend, judge everyone favorably. What's the common denominator of all three? I would think it's like, I was thinking the first one is like social, emotional, and the second one is maybe monetary about the miser, like the physical things. Maybe it's like Ruchmias and Gashmias. Okay, good. I'm going to go with part of that, not all of it. But well, the first one is definitely, as you said, social-emotional. The first one basically is telling a person, you can't be on your own, right? You can't, you know, sometimes a person, there are certain, certain people that are perhaps very strong-minded and very um, independent. I don't need a teacher. I, I, I got it. I, I understand. I know myself. I don't need friends. I'm good. I'm independent. And I don't really need anyone. And you think about all three statements of the first Mishnah said, no, all three. It said, no, 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 you do need a teacher. Even if you're a great person, even if you're a teacher yourself. 
And even if you are the teacher of many others, you also need a teacher. Because everyone needs to understand that when we make our decisions in life, we are biased. No matter how wise someone is and how spiritual someone is, they have to have the necessary um, bittle, humility, to understand that they have to find someone who they could look up to and ask and check things with and make sure that they're making the right decisions. So Rishon Prachi says, you need a teacher. And by the way, you need a friend too. Just in case you think that you don't need a friend because you have everything figured out and you're independent and so on and so forth. I'm sorry, you have to acquire a friend. And then he says, by the way, in case you're looking down at the whole world, he says, have you done as Everyone you should judge favorably. So that really, this first Aseluharav has somewhat of a harsh tone to it. It's like you think you can do it on your own? No, no, no. Aseluharav, you must find for yourself a teacher, no matter who you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how many people are your disciples, you also need a teacher. And by the way, especially for a for Lubavitcher Chassid, by the Rebbe, this was a big deal. He would talk about it, that every single person must have a Rav or a Mashpia, someone they check with periodically, and someone when they have big questions, they discuss it with, and not to rely on their own Seichel, on their own way of understanding things. Every person must have that. And that's what Yushov and Prachi was saying. And, and here we'll see something magnificent. As I said, these statements, you can, if, you, if you have enough knowledge throughout the Talmud, you'll be able to find certain um, links to, the, to these teachers and stories in their life. And the Rebbe showed, he said once by, by, by Febrengen, he said that the Gemara says elsewhere about this Sadiq of Yeshua ben Prachia, who's the one who taught this teaching, that he said, he said, he was the Nasi, he was the leader of the Jewish people. And he said, before... I became, before I was appointed to this, um, you know, exalted position, when people mentioned to me, you know, maybe become the, that I should become the Nasi, I told them, better tie me up and put me in front of lions. He wasn't interested in being the Nasi. But then he says, but once I became the Nasi, once I assumed this position, if someone were to tell me, you know what, maybe step down. He said, I would take the hot water in front of me and pour it on their head. That's what Yeshua Baprachia said. Now, what teaching, what, what message was he imparting when he said that? He was obviously teaching something. He was talking to human nature. And he was saying, even someone who's not looking for leadership. And he said, I, I really wasn't. But once we're in a position of leadership, we get comfortable with it. And we don't step down so fast. That's human nature. Even human nature of a tzaddik, Yeshua Baprachia was saying. And he was talking about himself. He said, I did not look for the job. I didn't look for this position. But once I'm there, don't tell me to step down. That same Yeshua ben Prachia, who taught us that teaching, is, is, is talking to us here in Pirkei And he's saying that every person, no matter how wise, no matter how smart, no matter how great of a leader of others he, they, that person might be, also must have the humility to always remember that when it comes to their own decisions and their own, and their own um, deliberations and so on, they must have the humility to talk it over with someone else and to be able to find someone to look up to. And sometimes we say, I'd love to look up to someone. There's no one to look up to in the world, right? <laughs> I'm, at the top of the, I'm at the top of the thing. And the Rebbe says, no. You have to find someone to look up to. That's the first teaching. That's Yeshua ben Prachia's Asei L'Charav. Just a little, a little story that um, 
There was a time when, um, I think it was the time of the Sforan court case, those who remember, 1985, 86, and the Rebbe was very, very broken about it. And every day he would go to the Oihel, the resting place of his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, and stand there all day and daven and say to him and fast. And he became sick. Literally, became start, he got a very bad cold. And some of the elder Hasidim were, were very worried for the Rebbe's health and so on. And they came to him and they said, they said, please, don't go every day. You know, we'll go for you. We'll, we'll take a minion and we'll go. We'll do whatever you want, but you have to take care of yourself. And the Rebbe became very serious and says, why are you, why are you telling this to me? Why, why, are you, um, why are you coming to me? Obviously, because you care for me, because you need a Rebbe. He says, I need a Rebbe too. And in a time of difficulty, I have to go to my Rebbe. That's what he told the, the Hasidim. Now, it's this very reminiscent of this idea that a leader needs a leader too. It, it's all, it, that's part of it. Asay l'charav, everyone needs a rav. Okay, all of that is asay l'charav part one. That's Yeshua ben Prachis, asay l'charav. Let's, let's move over 10 Mishnas to Rabban Gamliel in Tazayin, Mishnah 16. So, and, and again, we'll look at the association, look at the context. What are the three statements he says? He says, make for yourself a teacher. Then he says, remove yourself from doubt. And then he says, when you give miser, when you give your tenth for tzedakah, don't do it with estimates. Be exact. What's the common denominator of all of those three? I think it's being, removing yourself from doubt. All three, right? Make yourself a teacher so that you should remove yourself from doubt. And when you give tzedakah also, don't do it in an estimate way. Be clear. There shouldn't be any question about what you're doing. Who is this message talking to? What kind of Asela Kharav? And here we come to the opposite message. There are many people in life that suffer from, they can't make a decision. Anxiety, Anxiety indecisiveness. I can't decide. I don't know. There's different opinions, there's different ways. There's every, you know, every good idea has a counter idea. Every thought has a counter thought. Every decision could be decided the other way. The very opposite than the person that Yeshua Baprachi was dealing with. Right? Let's put them both together. Yeshua Baprachi was coming to a person who thought, I don't need anybody's advice. I know it all. And Yeshua Baprachi said, no, no. <laughs> you might think you know it all. You need to have a Rav. Rabbi Gamaliel is coming to the opposite person, the person who's paralyzed with indecisiveness, the person who can't make any decisions, and the person's walking around with the weight of the world on, on, on their shoulders because I can't decide. I can't. And, and uh, there, those of us who know people who really suffer from indecisiveness, it, it might be the most, one of the most paralyzing things that there is. I mean, for sure, a person can't make big decisions in life about getting married or anything like that. But some people can't make decisions about you know, which pair of socks to wear today because... Right? So, so Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel comes to the person and he says, I have help for you. You don't have to know the answer to every question. You don't have to make every decision on your own. You're allowed to have a Rav, a mentor, a guide, a mashpia, a Rav, whatever name you're going to give it. And if you have a question, you can discuss it and you're allowed to trust them. And although even after you walk out of the room, you say, but... Maybe they're wrong. Torah says you're allowed to trust your Rav and, and use that if you need even as a crutch to help you make decisions in life and move on. So although both of them said the same words, they really came from two different directions 
And we're dealing with two almost opposite types of situations. One was a harsh Aseh One was a soothing Aseh One was Aseh that came to the person who thought he knows or she knows and says, no, you need a Rav. The other was the person who was totally in pieces and doesn't know anything and says, Aseh you're allowed to do this. This can help you by having someone who you can trust and you can ask your question to and discuss things with and you're, you're allowed to listen and follow and help you step by step. And here, we'll see again the beautiful relationship to the times. Rabbi Gamliel, when did he live? So if you follow through the Mishnahs, which is in chronological order, Rabbi Gamliel comes right after the last peer. The last peer was Hillel and Shammai. Right? I mentioned earlier, there was five peers, five zugos. Right? The first one being Yossi ben Yochanan and, and uh, Yossi ben Yohazer. The last one is Shammai and Hillel. After Shammai and Hillel, the next leader is Rabban Gamliel, right? In, in Tezvav, we have Shammai. Tezayin is Rabban Gamliel, Oyomer. He's the leader after Shammai and Hillel. What did Shammai and Hillel bring to the Jewish people? So, basic Mishnah and Talmud is Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, who are tremendous tzaddikim in their own right, but their disciples opened the two large yeshivas, two um, places of study, and they brought a tremendous amount of Machlokes, halachic debate. Until the times of Hillel and Shammai, the amount of halachic debates that there were, you could count on a hand or two. There was very few halachic debates. It was clear. The, uh, the Mesorah, the tradition was very clear and very seamless, and there was no question. There was no real debates. Base Hillel and base Shammai in Talmudic language is like the, is like the code for debates. Throughout the Talmud, there's hundreds of debates of Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, which with their disciples became thousands, and that is a, like governs the Talmud, the debates of Shammai and Hillel. So think about it. Rabban Gamliel comes to the scene right after the Jewish people have just been thrown into a tremendous amount of halachic indecision, indecision and, and lack of clarity. There's a debate. I don't know. So Rabbi Gamliel is coming to a nation of people who are saying, Oy vey, how in the world am I going to know what to do? Shammai said this, and Hillel said that, and this Rav said this, and this Rav said that. I'm in a total state of confusion. Right? The joke, the joke that goes around is, you know, in, in, by many Hasidim and Chabad and many, we're Rashi tefillin and Rabbeinu Tam tefillin, two, two periods of tefillin. So they came to a person and said, you know, would you like to put on tefillin? He says, until you guys figure this out, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Rashi, Rabbeinu Tam, this opinion, that opinion. When you have it clear, get, come back to me, right? So people, there are, so that's the joke, but there are people who, who live with that, with that lack of clarity. And many of us have that lack of clarity many times that I don't know. Person A told me that's right. Person B told me this right. This Rav said that. That Rav said that. What am I supposed to do? Says Rabbi Gamliel, no problem. I say Rav. You're allowed to have your Rav and rely on him. Now even though, but, but there's another Rav. Okay, that doesn't have to be your business. Asel Rav of Rabbi Gamliel is the soothing Asel Rav. And therefore, and I'm being a little bit long about this, but at, at, the, at the end of the day, although there's two Mishnahs, and both Mishnahs both say Asel Rav, but according to this beautiful explanation that's really based on a talk that the Rebbe gave, it's really two messages. Both are important, and it's really not repetitious at all, because it's two different types of messages. And really, each of us sometimes have to hear one, and sometimes have to hear the other. 
because there are moments and times or days or feelings that we don't, we have it all figured out. We don't have to ask any questions. And Torah says, no. Yeshua Prachi says, we do have to. Even in that situation, when we feel we have it all, you know, we're, we're good. And there are times when we're indecisive and we're full of question and full of doubt. And Torah says, Asei And that is um, Rabban Gamliel's Asei at the towards the end of the chapter. So that is one idea about these two Mishnas. Um, another idea. <clears throat> Actually, before we go on to a different Mishnah, Let's, let's, let's uh, actually look back at the Mishnah of Vav. Yeshua Baprachi said the three concepts. He talked about Asilah Harav, he talked about acquiring a friend, and he talked about judging every person favorably. Let's talk about judging every person favorably for a moment. Um, perhaps two ideas. Firstly, why was it Yeshua Baprachi who talked about judging every person favorably? Why Dafka him? and especially based again on our introduction here earlier, that these teachings weren't just random teachings of these people, but these are connected with these people and their life story. We're, what's very f- famous about Yeshua ben Prachia? Who is a very famous or infamous disciple of Yeshua ben Prachia? So again, I know that almost everyone here is muted, so you can't answer. And I'm sure everyone's like trying to answer here. But... A disciple of Yeshua Meprachia was the founder of the Christian religion. He's obviously Jewish, right? Wow. Um, and he, according to the Gemara and Sanhedrin, was a disciple initially of Yeshua Meprachia. Now, it's a little bit complicated with those Gemaras because a lot of the Gemaras, especially those Gemaras that discuss the founders of Christianity, many of them were censored for very obvious reasons throughout the generations. So even today, they're like in the back of the Gemara. They're like the additions from the censors that came back. Um, but in the, in the tractate in the end of Sanhedrin, there's discussion about Yeshu, as he's called in the Gemara. Um, and he was a disciple of Yeshua Prachia. But he went, uh, he went bad, so to speak. He went you know, against the Chachamim, against the Torah. So Yeshua Prachia distanced him. And first he kicked him out of the yeshiva. Um, he excommunicated him for some time. But ultimately, Yeshua Prachia himself felt that he was too strict with him. In fact, the Gemara says there, La'olam yimin mikareves v'smol which means that a person should always use their stronger hand to be mikarev, to being closer, and the weaker hand to push away. And the example is from Yeshua ben Prachia. The Yeshua ben Prachia, the Gemara feels, and Yeshua ben Prachia felt he was too tough with him. And perhaps if he wouldn't have been as tough as he was, who knows, maybe he wouldn't have went off so far and began his own religion, which ultimately cost us countless lives and service throughout the generations. So Yeshua ben Prachia was always, had a, um, was always feeling bad about it. In fact, it says that Yeshua ben Prachia tried to be Mekar of him. And one time, initially he said, nah, I'm too far. He said, I'm far, I can't do tshuva. And then it says one time he came to Yeshua ben Prachia and he says, he got, he, you know, mustered up the courage and he came to the Bishmadrish and he said, and he, like, he came towards his Rebbe to, to ask him something. And Yeshua Prachia was in the middle of davening. He couldn't speak. So the Gemara says that he, he motioned to him with his hand. And he thought, the disciple, that he's telling him to leave. When really he was telling him, wait, I'm just davening. And he left and never came back in. And began the Christian religion. Wow. So, so the Rebbe points out and he says, that's why it's Yeshua Prachia more than everyone, anyone else who says, have he done as kol adam lekafskos. Even that disciple, that's like the bottom of the ladder, the one who's, who's who, who knows what they'll do, 
and in this case is the most extreme possible thing, even him, given the benefit of the doubt, be makar of him, bring him closer. And Yeshua Mabrachi is telling us, I know that from my own life story. I'm not just saying that. And this, this goes back to what we said earlier, that all of these statements can be traced to the lives of these people, not just something that they said. And that's why it was him who said, have you done a scholar of the Kafskos? Does this apply to Goyim also, in terms of how we're supposed to judge people? Yes. Everybody. Yes. Everyone, we should give them the benefit of the doubt and try to see the, the goodness that there is there, and in that way be makar of them. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's, an, it's interesting you ask that question, because the wording here is kol ha'adam. Right? He could have said, have you done us kol adam? And it says kol ha'adam. My first one say, whenever it says ha'adam, that's to include everyone, yidin and even goyim. Ah. Adam plain is just yidin, ha'adam is everyone. That extra hey shows them that is a, the toysfus that says that. Hmm. One more idea about that, about judging everyone favorably. There's, a, there's another Mishnah. Um, excuse me. There's another Mishnah in, in Perig Bey's. Perig Bey's Mishnah Dalid. Where there it says, Al tadin es chavercha, achetagiyal limkomo. Do not judge your friend until you reach their place. Don't judge someone until you're exactly in the same place that they are. That's that Mishnah. Let's again, let's cross reference. Here we have a Mishnah that says, judge everyone favorably. That's what Yeshua ben Prachia said. Here. In the next parak, and this is one of the statements of Rabbi Gamliel, he says, um, it's a different Rabbi Gamliel than the one we discussed earlier. It's a grandson. But he says, don't judge a person until you reach their place. Are these the same? These two statements? Judge everyone favorably. And don't judge someone until you reach their place. I mean, they're, they're both about judgment, judging favorably, and don't judge them until you reach their place. They're both talking about judgment, but can we, can we sort of look at both of them and see how they interconnect? So here's the thought. Let's talk about the second one for a moment. What does it mean not to judge someone until you reach their place? Don't judge someone until you're in their place. So the Dr. actually talks about it in Tanya, chapter 30. And he says, first of all, when you see a person who's clearly sinful, sinful person, no, you can't judge them because you're not in their place. What does their place mean? So first of all, physically their place. You don't know where they have to be. Right? As Alter Rebbe describes in Tanya, it could be this person, their job, their work brings them to places that are filled with all different types of tests. And perhaps you're, you don't have those tests. You can't be judgmental of someone. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know where they live. You don't know their upbringing. You don't know what they go through every day. That's A. And then he says, well, but what if I go to exactly the same place as they do? <laughs> we work in the same office. I'm, I'm with them all day. He says, still, but you don't know their place internally. Right? You could really never know what a person is going through. So even if you're watching and you know without any doubt, that person is very sinful. There's no doubt. There's no question. I can't judge them favorably. I know. I see how sinful they are. But still, said Rabbi Gamliel, you can't judge them because you don't know what they're going through that's bringing them to those sins. It's not a question of justification. We're not justifying them. A sin is a sin. But I can't be judgmental of them because... 
I very likely am not going through what they're going through. They may have a very, very powerful Yitzhahara. They have a very, very powerful uh, wants or desires or, or, or temptations or whatever it is. Phobias, whatever it is. So therefore the Mishnah says, you can't judge them until you're in their place, which means you can never judge them. It's a rhetorical statement because you can never be in someone else's shoes. You can never know what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their mind, what, they, what, you know, what their childhood brought them to. You'll never know. So that's why you can't judge them. Okay, so there the Mishnah said, I can't judge someone until I'm in their place. Here it says, judge them favorably. How does A lead to B? Okay, I can't judge them because I'm not in their place. And I'm thinking they must be going through a terrible, terrible internal battle. I can't be judgmental of them. How is that judging them favorably? They're still sinning. I mean, I can't look down at them. They're going through a terrible battle. Where's the favorable judgment here? Says the Rebbe. When I go through step one and I see someone who's sinful or whatever it is and I think they must have such a terrible nisayon, such a terrible yitzhahara, such a terrible child bringing, whatever it was that, that may have brought them to this. Says the Rebbe, then there's something very favorable here as well, which is if they have such a strong nisayon, if they have such a strong temptation or such a difficult, difficult test, what does that mean? How much kochos do they have? We have a general rule. A person who has tremendously difficult nisayon, that means that they have tremendously powerful kaykais to overcome the nisayon. When I look at a person and I see that person is really, really low down, really very, very terrible, and I say, wow, that person must be going through who knows what in their heart. That also tells me how powerful that person's neshama must be. Because if they're given such a terrible nisayon, that means Hashem is also giving them the kaychas to overcome that nisayon. What if they don't use them? They still have them. And if they have them, that's a person who I want to help. I want to help them find, elicit, connect to that tremendous, that tremendous neshama that they have. You know, you know, basically we're turning, the, we're turning the book, you know, we're turning the coin over. We're saying, wow, that person is really, really low. That means that person has a terrible nisoyen. That means that person must have a super high neshama. Because if they wouldn't have a super high neshama, Hashem would never give them such a difficult nisoyen. So therefore, this, is, this one's worth investing in. Right? There's the, the famous story that the Rebbe said in the first Mimer that he said when he accepted in, uh, to the Nisiyas in, in uh, 1951, he said the story about the Rebbe Marash who went, traveled to France, right? And he, he came to a uh, hotel and he went to the casino, right? And he saw this person who was drinking uh, wine, didn't look Jewish, and he walked over to him and he said, Jungerman, uh, um, like, Yayin Nesach is metamed in Neshama. I don't remember the words. He said, you shouldn't be drinking, it's not kosher wine. And just, the Rebbe Marash turned away and walked away. And this person ultimately did, did a tremendous tshuva, became a chassid. And the Rebbe Rosh said later that he had such a high neshama that it's been many years such a high neshama hasn't been in this world. In other words, he was able to look and see a person who was in the lowest levels of, of spirituality, or lack of spirituality, and say, the fact that they're in that place is indicative of the power that they have, the kayak that they have. And therefore, again, that's, a nisham, that's the type of neshama I want to invest in because it must be a super powerful neshama. So here's where these two statements of Chazal come together. Don't judge a person until you're, you're in their place, which means, wow, if they're so low, they must have a very difficult nisayon. And if they have such a difficult nisayon, 
then that changes my perspective of the person. Not, oh, they have such a big Nisoyan that means they're really way out there. It's to the contrary. If I understand and feel how that person has a big Nisoyan, that tells me how much Hashem trusts that person. How much effort, how much koiches that person has that Hashem allows them to have that Nisoyan. And therefore, if we're only able to talk to the person right and connect to them in the right place, we can actually reveal that zuchus and reveal that tremendous neshama that they have. So that's how the Rebbe explains how not judging a per- person until they reach their place actually leads to judging a person favorably and finding the tremendous koiches that they have, even though they might seem so, you know, so, so hidden and so covered over. Okay, do we have time for one more quick idea? Okay, one more idea. Let's go to Hillel and Shammai. Um, Shammai, Mishnah 15, Tesvav. Shammai, Shammai says, Asei tiroscha kva. Person should make their Torah study permanent. Don't just learn, you know, when you have a few minutes, create some permanence, like, for example, like a Monday night class or something like that. Okay. Emor ma'at v'asei harbe. Says, talk little and do a lot. Oh, that's a good one, but I'm going, to talk, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk little about that one. Okay. But I want to talk about the third statement of Shammai. Accept every person with a smile. Every person. Give every person a smile. That's what it means. Saver panim yafos. Accept, receive every person with a shining countenance. And again, I'm going to point out to something you mentioned earlier. It says, as kol ha'adam. Jew and non-Jew alike, give every person a smile every day, every time. Be, be um, generous. Be generous with your smiles. Accept a person in a happy way with a shining countenance. This is the third statement of Shammai. And here, again, in a sikha, the Rebbe raises an interesting question. When we think about Shammai himself, he doesn't sound like that person who represents the shining countenance. It should be Hillel. Right? Because we have Hillel and Shammai, the famous duo. And in their, that, in their, Hillel and Shammai, whenever we talk about them in context, Hillel was the nice guy. Right? Famously, you have the Gemara about the, 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 the people who want the, the, the three stories of, of the, the Gentile who wanted to convert. And I don't have time to say this at length, so I actually printed out the whole Gemara here. But basically, um, one came before Shammai and said, the most famous one, he says, teach me the entire Torah as I'm standing on one foot. And Shammai said, get lost. What are you talking You're making a mockery out of the Torah. And he came to Hillel, and Hillel found a way to do it for him. And he said, no, you know, what's hateful unto you, don't do it unto your friend. And that's the whole Torah. Now go learn. He converted, and he became a Geertzeth. Another story, same, the same page of Gemara, a person came to, to Hillel and sa- Shammai and says, teach me the whole Torah, but I only want um, the written Torah. I don't believe in the rabbis. Teach me. Convert me. I want to keep, keep only Torah Shabbat Sav. Shammai said, get lost. And he came to Hillel and Hillel taught him and Mizmigayer him and made him a full Balshuva too. Third story, um, a person came to Shammai and said, I want you to convert me, but I want to become the Kohen Godel. So again, Shammai, you know, he followed his strict approach. And he came to Hillel and said, sure, no problem. And he converted him. And as he taught him more and more, Torah, the person recognized the silliness of that request and everything was good. And, and at the end, all of these three people met and they talked about how Hillel's approach saved them. And Shammai's approach, would have not, they, 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 never, they never would have become Jewish. Point is, Shammai seems to be the strict one. Now that's fine. It's okay that they're strict ones. But how is he the one that says, 
having Mechabalos Kala Adam Sever Panam Yafos. Especially again, we've been talking here that the teachings of these teachers are expressions of them. They personify these teachings. Shammai seems to personify the opposite. Why is he the one telling us to accept and receive everyone with that smiling confidence? And here, and there's more than one answer given to this question, but I'm going to say one. And, and the answer is that this alone is a Pirkei Avos lesson. Because, of course, Shammai on his own was the strict one. And Shammai in his personal temperament and way of being was the tougher Rebbe. But after Shammai heard Hillel, and in, in Mishnah Yud Beis, Hillel said, to be from the disciples of Aaron, Ohev Shalom, to love peace, Reidev Shalom, pursue peace, Ohev Sabris, love all people, Makar from the Torah. So Shammai says, you know what? He's right. And let me teach his teaching now. And that's why, the Rebbe points out, typically in Halacha, Shammai is mentioned before Hillel. Typically, when they're brought on, Shammai was older. And we'll say first Shammai, then Hillel. Here, Hillel's teaching is brought before Shammai. Why? Because Shammai only came to this teaching after he heard Hillel give the, the earlier teaching. So when Shammai says over here, this is the new and improved Shammai. This is Shammai who says, I'm, I'm big enough to listen. I'm, 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 I'm wise enough, I'm great enough to understand that even though I had an approach, and my approach was a Torah approach, there's no question, there is place in Torah for severity and for strictness, there's place for that too, and Shammai personified that. But Shammai said, but I, I listened and I watched and I saw the story of the three Gerim and I see the truth and the beauty in what Hillel said. And that's why now I want to teach. I want to teach this teaching, though you might attribute that to Hillel. He's my teacher. He taught it to me. But now I also, even the strict one says, you know what? So this becomes an additional teaching. On top of the teaching that he's teaching is that even he, who didn't always do that, was able to say, but I learned from Hillel that this is a correct teaching that everyone should adopt to accept every person and Jew and non-Jew alike and accord them that, that savor poem, Yafos, that smile, the shining countenance that every person deserves. Rabbi Silverberg, I think it's apropos that it came right after a Seil Charav. Right. That right. Shammai, he didn't think he knew everything. He actually learned from Hillel. Excellent. Excellent. Very yeah. good. Very good.